0: Thank you, Heralds of Hope. As I said this morning, thank you for heralding the hope today. It's great to hear you and to be blessed by the message that you give to us, and uh, Dorothy and Gerald as well, thank you so much for your leadership, and with the group, and your playing on the piano and organ, and uh, and Casey, thank you for the trumpet today. I was blessed to have Casey in a class I taught last fall, and so... uh, Some of the things I'm sharing today, you'll remember from class probably. (laughs) From one of the books I'm quoting from was our textbook. Uh, So uh, maybe God's telling you something, Casey. I don't know. You're here today. I'm just kidding. Uh, Good to have your wife with us too, who plays the French horn, uh, who has played here before, right? We had a group here a while back that she played in, and uh, so it's good to have you guys here with us. God is good. And all the time. God is good. Today I want to... um, I wanna talk about worship. And uh, I know uh, a couple of August and Cala Mesa's ago, our theme for the week was worship. And we took about four weeks just to talk about worship. We had guest speakers and so forth. But today, it's just been on my heart to talk about an aspect of worship that maybe we don't think about sometimes when we talk about worship or we, we hear about worship. And to me, it's, it's kind of at the core of what worship does to us and for us and and what happens in us when we worship. Now in the Bible, uh, worship always is like a response to what God has done for God's people. Giving thanks and praise and adoration because of who he is and what he's done. Whether it's deliverance or provision or whatever it is, it's this response to God and what he's done and God's people worship. They praise, they sing, they dance, they rejoice. You read the psalmist and you find all kinds of different emotions and experiences and and expressions of his praise for God. I don't know exactly what your worship experience has been in your years of life, whether young or old. Um, Maybe worship is tied to a lot of what happens in church on Sabbath morning and hopefully that's true. Uh, I could remember as a child different experiences with worship as I'm trying to figure out worship as I'm growing and developing in my faith and I remember for me growing up, the biggest challenge was just getting through the worship service without having to go to the bathroom, you know, as a little child. Uh, Maybe your experience was like this one little boy who, uh, he was causing kind of a ruckus and his parents were trying to keep him quiet. And as they were trying to quiet him down, he just kind of got more restless and more restless. Finally, his father took him by the arm and he was bringing him down the aisle of the church and out loud in front of the whole church, the boy goes, pray for me, pray for me. (laughs) And I thought, wow, yeah. Yeah. Probably felt that sometimes. God may His Father be gentle, you know, as He goes out. <laughs> I saw a bumper sticker this week that said, "I'm a tree hugging dirt worshiper. <laughs> Maybe you like the dirt. Maybe you like camping. Maybe you appreciate the earth. Maybe you're a tree hugger. I read this other quote about worship that is sad in my heart, but I wanted to share it with you because I, it's so real. It's the words from a singer who sings in a uh, well-known rock band. His name is Vince Neil. He said, I lost my faith in God when I lost my daughter to cancer, the beast. I begged, I cried, I offered my life for hers, and day by day I watched that beautiful little angel slip off. So excuse me for not taking my seat next to you in church. I feel too cheated to worship. That's a real... A real statement from a real experience. Sometimes when we talk about our worship of God, maybe, maybe we feel cheated by God. Maybe sometimes as we proclaim God is good all the time, sometimes I don't believe God is good all the time. Why did I lose my loved one? Why am I going through what I'm going through? I feel too cheated to worship. Why worship you, God? Maybe I don't feel like you're taking care of me as I think you should been reading this book by Walter Brueggemann, wonderful Old Testament scholar, called Remember You Are Dust. haven't finished it yet, but uh, as I was preparing the sermon this week, I, I appreciated some of the words he said early on. He was talking about wisdom, and he says, wisdom culminates in praise. He says, attentiveness may be discerned in the largeness of creation. In the delicacy of a birth, in the mystery of self, such attentiveness is not blind to evil, brutality, and death. In the midst of such powerful realities, nonetheless, wise attentiveness is pressed beyond life observed, finally to say, Thou. Regard for creation urges us to the Creator, whom we address in wonder, awe, and amazement and gratitude. The ultimate expression of our attentiveness, the conclusion drawn, does not lead to a scientific formulation, to an intellectual conclusion, or to technical certainty, but to lyrical self-abandonment. Such attentiveness leads finally to doxology, to the seeding of life in its wonder and gratitude over to the one who is its progenitor, sponsor, and sovereign. Praise is where wisdom ends. Wisdom ends in doxology. Read a lot about wisdom in the Bible. And understanding wisdom, when we obey God, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, it leads us to the praise of God. And when we see the life that's all around us in creation in the world and the mysteries of life, and even sometimes the tragedies of life, it leads us to humility and praise of God. Dallas Willard says, human beings are at the core defined by what they worship, rather than primarily by what they think, know, or believe. That is bound up with the central Augustinian claim that we are what we love. Now before I finish some more of what Dallas said, I was reading this week and found an interesting study that was done years ago by a gentleman who is famous for understanding branding in the world, how companies brand their products and how consumers buy them. They were doing a study, in fact, um, I want to tell you his name, you may be aware of it, I forgot his name, Martin Lindstrom. His newest book is Biology, B-U-Y. O-L-O-G-Y. Why people buy the things they do and, and how the companies really succeed in doing that. They were studying the brain and trying to figure out where in the brain uh, certain things are fired and certain things are going on in the brain when people consume or associate products with uh, their experience of them. It was very interesting and as they looked at products like the iPhone, Androids, and all of our technology that we like. And they found out then when people associate or people use and connect with their phones, it actually fires in the brain in the area where we connect with loving people and relationship. And our religious experiences. When they showed them pictures of religious figures or icons that were associated with the religious life, the area of the brain where the love is is all there. And so when people would see pictures of like the iPhones and they would hear the sound of the, of the certain chimes of the iPhones, it would trigger in the brain the same areas for love and compassion. So the article which was in the Wall Street Journal was interesting, it said, so are we addicted to our iPhones or do we really love them? <laughs> you may be in love with your technology. But the question or the thing that's interesting to me is that I believe we often worship what we love. And what we love and what we worship forms us and shapes us. Dallas goes on. He says, The core of the person is what he or she loves, and that is bound up with what they worship. That insight recalibrates the radar for cultural analysis. The rituals and practices that form our love spill out well beyond the sanctuary. Many secular liturgies are trying to get us to love some other kingdom and some other gods. Interesting. I want to read to you, and we'll put on the screen, from the message translation, Psalms 95, 1 through 7, which is where the title of today's sermon comes from. Oh, come, let's shout praises to God, raise the roof for the rock who saved us. Let's march into his presence, singing praises, lifting the rafters with our hymns. And why? Because God is the best. High king over all the gods. In one hand he holds deep caves and caverns, in the other hand grasps the high mountains. He made ocean, he owns it. His hands sculpted earth. So come, let us worship, bow before him, on your knees before God who made us. Oh, yes, he's our God, and we are the people he pastures, the flock he feeds. The psalmist invites us into this worship of God, this God who created the heavens and the earth, everything of wonder that we see. I love being inspired by the sunrise in the morning. I love watching the moon at night and the stars. I love looking at the planets. I love... You, you have the things that you love, that inspire you. We heard about the different God stories today, reminding us that we're part of his story. The psalmist invites us, come let us bow down and worship this God who sculpted the earth. I tried to imagine what it must have been like for Adam and Eve, that first week there in the garden when God created the, the heavens and the earth. What must it have been like to be there, to see all of this creation that was fresh and new, if you were Adam or you were Eve, what would you say to God? How would you worship him? I don't know that I could even say anything. Maybe I would have been speechless. Maybe I would have just fallen at his feet, I said, "And And no, no words come out of my mouth. But to praise him in that. When thinking of God being worthy of worship, and thinking of what he did for us in creating this earth and what he's done for us through the act of salvation through Jesus Christ, I want to visit how you and I were created because I think this is vital to understanding what worship does for us and what it can do in us. When we look at that time of creation and we look at how we were created, we go back to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created him. Let me read it to you in the message. God spoke. Let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. You see, one word that sometimes we kind of bypass when we think of being created is that God created us to rule. He created us to rule. That's how we are in his image. That's how we are like God. He created us to rule this earth, to have dominion, some translations say. And what happens when we don't worship, I believe, is that we lose sight of the fact that we were created to rule under the reign of God. And when we worship, when we acknowledge God as our King and our Lord and our Savior and our Creator, it reminds us that we are creatures and we were created to rule under His rule. Let me continue. As we know, sin entered the picture. And the greatest temptation of sin, in my opinion, is that we're tempted to rule for ourselves and to try to rule outside of the reign of God. And when that happens, things go south very fast. Because then I'm ruling for my own own success, for my own safety, for my own, you fill in the blank. And so God, being the God that he is, Send sent his son Jesus to come down and show us what real ruling looks like. And to offer us the opportunity to come back into the kingdom by his grace and by his love. And as we live in his kingdom, we begin to learn how to rule again. How to rule in love. And so Romans 5.17 says this, For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life, through the one man, Jesus Christ. You see, through the one man, Adam, death reigned. But now, through the gift of Jesus Christ and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we can learn how to reign again in new life in Jesus. As that develops in us, we see in the book of Revelation the ultimate end where God brings us to again once the journey is over. In Revelation 5 8 through 10, We read this, when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you redeemed people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. this is how God created us. That's how He's making us new again. And when it's all made new completely again, we are reigning on the earth. And so, one of the essential parts of worship is not coming to church and saying, Yeah, worship was good or worship was bad. Because how can worship be good or bad unless I'm worshiping or I'm not worshiping? I may be one who loves the piano and the organ. I may be one who loves the guitar. I may be one who loves the voice. I may be one who loves the trumpet. I may be one who loves whatever it is you love. But worship is never about me coming and consuming something. Worship is about me humbling myself before this God who created me and remembering that he reigns and he is king and he is Lord. And as I do that, he does the supernatural work in me of beginning to teach me again how to reign properly on this earth, to reign in love, to reign in compassion, to reign in forgiveness, to reign in justice, putting things back to right. You see, because if we don't worship God, if we don't put ourselves in our proper place with God, we then move into idolatry, the Bible talks about, And idolatry is making something else to be God instead of God. N.T. Wright describes idolatry this way in his book, Evil and the Justice of God. He says, when we humans commit idolatry, worshiping that which is not God as if it were, we thereby give to other creatures and beings in the cosmos a power, a prestige, an authority over us, which we under God were supposed to have over them. When you worship an idol, whatever it is, You abdicate something of your own proper human authority over the world and give it instead to that thing, whatever it is. You call into being a negative force, an anti-God force, which is opposed to creation because being itself part of the transient world, it is bound to decay and die and will, if we're not careful, drag us down with it. Do You see that, church? So I wanted to put it in writing so we could hear it and see it at the same time. The problem with idolatry is that we put things that we were meant to rule over above us. And these fallen and sinful things then continue to bring us down in the dysfunction of sin and evil. And the cycle continues. The only thing that can save us, the only thing that can give life is God. And that's why we worship him. He is the only one who can free us from ourselves. He's the only one that can free us from trying to rule over other things in our own flesh we need his power we need to worship because it frees us from ourselves and it frees us from the dysfunction of the power of sin and evil in our lives in his book the insider and the outcast timothy keller mentions david foster wallace which uh, what he shares originally appeared in the wall street journal David, Wall, David Foster Wallace, an American writer and an, an intellectual, unfortunately ended his life a while back. But he shared these words at a commencement address that I want to share with you. He kind of describes a little bit of what I'm saying. He says, here's something else that's true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And pretty much anything you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly, and when time age, when time I'm sorry and when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid. You will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. See that cycle? If we worship anything but God, that's where it leads. It doesn't lead to life, it doesn't lead to freedom. It doesn't lead to learning and being transformed to reign how God created us to reign. See, worshiping God Giving our allegiance to God, surrendering to Him, keeps us centered in the very reality of God's story. That's why I believe Sabbath is important too. I'm not here to do a whole sermon on Sabbath, but He gave us a day of worship. Now obviously, we worship every day, right church? Worship God every day. But He set apart and blessed this day to worship Him. And so one of the beautiful things about Sabbath is that it reminds us That he reigns, he's the creator, and we were meant to rest in his reign. I haven't finished the book yet, but I assume somewhere in the book Walter Brueggemann is going to say, when he says, Remember your dust, (laughs) it's a wonderful, freeing thing to remember that we're dust, that it's not all up to us, that we are feeble. We are human and that we can rest in our creator's strength and provision and ability to rule and govern our lives. And so for me, a big reason why Sabbath is important in my worship is because I get to rest in his reign. It reminds me to shut off all the other things that oftentimes lure me into thinking that I can handle life better, gripping it in my own hands and ruling it all by myself. That worshiping God and trusting him with my life Is a wonderful gift that he has given to us. And that I can rest enjoying being a creature and having a creator. Worship reminds me that I am part of a bigger story than my own story. I don't know how many of you were able to go to the Annie Moses concert last Saturday night, but uh, I was able to go and I was blessed boy, was I blessed by the musicianship uh, and and the stories that they told and the the songs, the message that came through in their songs. Well, they have, uh, most of them are all family and uh, I'm trying to remember, there were I think three violin, or a violinist and two violas, I think, and a cellist, and then they had percussion, and they had keyboards, they had a harp, they had vocals, they had all kinds of things going on. At one point during the concert, they decided to invite somebody up from the crowd and I thought, okay, is this planted or is this like really happening? Are they really doing this? So Annie, who's, in, who's kind of the leader of the group, she said, well, let me uh, turn up the house lights. Like, house lights. I want to see kind of, let's see where the spirit's leading here. And she found a gentleman. She goes, how about you? Called him up. His name was Chris. I remember his name because she said, you remind me of Chris Kringle. He had a long white beard. He was uh, full-figured, let's say that. Um, And uh, I loved it. I think if I remember correctly, he was wearing like kind of a dress shirt with shorts and tennis shoes. And uh, he got up there and seemed like a pretty happy guy. And uh, she said, "Now, do you have any musical background and so forth? And I think he said he didn't. Uh, I can't remember exactly. She goes, well, we're going to give you a violin. They put a violin there, lifted up his beard, stuck it in there. And he began to grab the neck of the violin. She goes, no, 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 we're not even going to get that far. Don't worry about that. Just hold it there. And uh, she says, now, do you see this string here? This string is the E string. Now, can you just pluck that? She goes, bing, you pluck it. She says, that's pretty good. Now, let's work, on your, let's work on your stage presence, you know? She goes, let's do it with a flourish. So it's like, pling, you know, you would do this, right? I wish you could see this guy. I should have taken a picture. Picture Santa Claus without his red suit on up there, just kind of doing this thing. She goes, now, now, then they started working out some choreography. They're kicking left, you know, kicking right. Is that go that? Yeah, kick left, right. And... Uh, they said now we're gonna play, and when I point to you, you hit that string that's your solo. And so they burst into the song, pop goes the weasel. <laughs> right? Da 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 and she points and goes ding da 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 and everybody's applauding and it's wonderful his first you know break here, he's doing wonderful. And so then they start getting, he gets more confident, you know, and he's doing it with the floor, she's doing it with the kick and all that. The whole place just roars. I mean, just phenomenal, it's great. But I'm sitting there thinking the whole time, I'm going, you know, this guy by grace was just chosen to come up and be part with this group and to perform with them. And the experience was like to be up there. And I thought, that is exactly what it's like with us and God. Not qualified at all to save ourselves. Not can't do this, but God invites us and says, I know, I know you can't do this. I know you can, but, but come be part of my story. Come, let me save you. Let me redeem you as you worship me and understand that I'm the creator and you're the creature, that you're part of this bigger story than just, am I gonna make it through my career? Am I gonna make it through school? Am I gonna make it through this? Am I gonna, and just be part of my story. Worship reminds us that we're part of a bigger story. That this all of life is about our creator and our God and that when we go through life, we don't have to go through life alone, that we're part, we're a creature with our creator and we're part of His bigger story of this earth and salvation and an earth made new. So when we worship, worship transforms us because as we worship God, he continues to make us new in learning how to reign well on this earth and our relationships with others and this creation. And we don't fall into the trap of idolatry, of just allowing the dysfunction of sin and evil to keep going on and on in our relationships in this world. And we're reminded that I am part of God's story of creation and salvation. I love the words of this one worship chorus. So simple. So here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely. You're altogether worthy. Altogether wonderful to me. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you for who you are and what you've done. We're in awe of what you've created on this earth. I can't even imagine what it looked like before sin but I look forward to seeing it made new completely again. We're in awe of you and the works you've done to save us, to rescue us from the power of sin and evil. And Lord, we thank you that you've given us the gift of worship, that we could surrender to you and we can allow you to reign, that we can remember that you're the creator and we're the creature And as we worship you, you continue to transform us so that we reign well as we rest in your reign. Remind us. Remind us always. It's your story that we're in. It's not about our story. It's about your story. So as we worship you, we thank you that we are reminded continually that it's all about you. Would you take a moment in silent prayer to worship God this morning?